There's a verse of Scripture that most all of you know found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. If you would turn there with me. You know this verse by heart. And let me say while you're turning that this may be the only message that I could have preached this morning because it comes after the Lord once again in His mercy and grace has given me a good whiff of myself and my sinfulness, rottenness. I say with some shame and personal disgust, but often when I preach, I feel somewhat like a hypocrite. That word means a pretender, an imposter. Why? Because I fall so terribly short of what the Lord deserves from me. And that's one of the things that makes it very difficult to stand before men and women, the sinners that we are, and I include myself in that because that's what preachers are. They're sinners just like those that hear them. To stand and to speak for God when I myself fall so way short of what God deserves. Now, I don't mean to compare myself with Paul, the apostle, but I will say this. I have no doubt that he must have felt the same way about himself. Why else would he have referred to himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, as the least of the apostles, not meet, not fit, he said, to be called one because of his former actions of persecuting the church? You know, that's something Paul never got over. As Saul, who held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. You know that. I can just imagine that Stephen's, the look on Stephen's face was on Paul's mind and heart all of the days of his life. The, the look on small children as he drugged their mother and father out of their home and threw them into prison. Can you imagine? Why else would Paul have described himself in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8 as less than the least of all saints to whom this grace is given? That he should preach. Me? Should preach the unsearchable riches of Christ? And then again here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he writes, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. And then he added these words, of whom I am chief. Every time I read this verse, I think to myself, what does that make me? I suppose one of the truths of Scripture that the Lord has made known better to me than any other truth, teaching, or doctrine found in the Bible is the truth, the revelation of my depravity. I add, that hasn't always been the case. There was a time when I knew that I wasn't perfect, but I still didn't believe that I was all that bad. I can remember one time a believer asking me at the time, I didn't know he was a believer at the time, I didn't know that I wasn't. But he asked me, he said, are you a sinner? And you know what I answered? I used to be. (laughs) But now, 
I know that's not the case. I don't feel that way anymore. God has revealed to me what I am. I now know, I now see, and even feel what I am. That word depravity, not a popular word. (laughs) It means moral corruption. Corruptness, having or showing a willingness to act in a sinful, rebellious manner. It means to be contaminated with the corrupting smell of death. That's what sin does to us. You remember Lazarus when he died? The Lord said, open the tomb. And his sister said, oh Lord, don't no, we don't want to do that. He, he's been dead four days. By now he stinks. Well, that's the way all of us smell in the nostrils of God. We're corrupt. We smell like dead things. Contaminated with corruption. That word depraved means perversion. Pervertedness. You know, that word pervert or pervert, however you want to say it, is an offensive word. As a verb, the word means to alter from an original course. We all have in and of ourselves certainly done that. We've altered from the original course that God made us to be. Pervert means to alter to a state of distortion and corruption um, from what was first intended. Sin has certainly corrupted and distorted, perverted us. Sin has certainly altered us from what God first, first intended for us to be. Pervert means to lead someone away from what is considered right, natural, and acceptable. And we've all at one time been guilty of that, especially concerning ourselves. You see, I now see, after several years of endeavoring to walk with the Lord, that I'm my own worst enemy. There's no one out to do me harm like I'm out to do me. And depravity also means defiance, degeneracy, and degradation. It means immortality, debauchery, lewdness. It means wickedness, sinfulness, vileness. It means to be brutish, vicious, even criminal. And the bad adjectives just go on and on. And many folks are offended by such a description but not God's people. They know that's what they are. And they love the fact that that's who God came to save. (laughs) Well, that's good news. No, the message of our depravity is not a popular message, but that's what happened to man when he disobeyed God. He died spiritually. He lived on physically. But he died to God spiritually. He fell out of communion with God. He fell out of fellowship with God. He died to God. And he died to life. Spiritual life. Eternal life. And the doctrine of total depravity did not begin with John Calvin. It began with Adam. 
And it's continued on unto all who were born of Him. Adam's son Cain, his first son, committed murder. Killed his brother, his sec, Adam's second son. It wasn't anything that Cain had to learn. It came natural to him because of his depravity. He murdered his brother out of envy and jealousy. And envy and jealousy come from the heart. You see, that's where we died. We died here in the heart. Depravity comes from the heart. Our Lord said, but those things which proceed out of the mouth of man are not what defiles him. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things that defile a man. And let me clarify something. There are some that think that Calvinism is what we preach and believe at Bible Baptist Church. It's not. It's not. We preach the Gospel. Everything that we preach comes out of the Bible. It comes out of the Scripture. Calvinism is not the Gospel. I know many people that believe in Calvinism and do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't profess to be a Calvinist. I profess to be a Christian. I profess to be a follower of Christ. But I will be one of the first to say without any reservation that John Calvin did have five very valid points. And the first one listed is total depravity. You see, it's not just enough to put the title depravity on it. We've got to be accurate, put that word total in front of it. Because that's what we are. We're totally so. Men are by nature not only corrupt, perverted, degenerate, debauched, wicked, sinful, and vile, but they are totally so. And that's what Paul was saying when he referred to himself as the chief of sinners. I once uh, wrote a little article, thought about it many times, about if someone asked you to think about the most hideous, repulsive, disgusting thing that you could think of, we all could think of some pretty disgusting, hideous, and repulsive things. But I doubt very seriously if any of us would think of ourselves. And yet there's nothing more repulsive, hideous, and repulsive, repulsive to God Himself. We're the chief. It's the evaluation that every child of God has of themselves when God reveals their sin to them. They consider themselves to be the chief, the biggest and the worst of sinners. The best sinner in the worst way. The number one sinner. Now, First Timothy here, one. Uh, look up at verse twelve. Paul writes, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that He counted me faithful, trustworthy, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a pers persecutor and an in in injurious, but. I obtained mercy. 
because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Listen, the mercy and grace of God is exceeding abundant, <laughs> but it's only in Christ. And this is why the gospel, the, this faithful, this most acceptable true teaching and doctrine, this faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, of Christ coming into the world to save sinners, meant so much to Paul and every saved sinner for that matter. Those of you this morning that are here and God has revealed to you what you are, isn't that the most wonderful message you've ever heard? That God Himself and the person of His Son came into this earth, came into this world to save people just like you. That's why we can't live without it. That's why some can't. We see how desperately wicked and unworthy that we are of such mercy and grace. But it's what we need the most. And that's the question. Is that the case with you? Do you see yourself as a needy sinner? Do you see your need of such mercy and grace? Do you see that you not only need it, but desperately so? One who has no need of Christ doesn't see it. One who has no interest in Christ doesn't. One who doesn't attend where the glorious gospel of Christ coming into the world to save sinners is preached obviously doesn't see their need of it. If they did, they would enthusiastically go where it's preached to hear it. Not everyone preaches it. Matter of fact, not many do. And simply put from the lips of the Lord Himself were these words, they that are whole, those who are well and righteous in their own estimation, have no need of the physician. The physician. Not a physician, the physician. There's only one physician who can heal the disease of sin. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the great, the great physician. Is He not? Who needs this specialized physician? They that are sick. I'm sick. I'm diseased with sin and I know it and I need help. And we all are. Some don't know it. But God has revealed it to some. Has He revealed it to you? Do you still think that you have something to offer God? Do you still feel as though you have some worth, some merit, some righteousness that God will accept? The Lord said, I came not to call the righteous. There are none righteous, no, not one. But I came to call sinners, those who know that they're sinners, to repentance. You might say, preacher, are you a mind reader? You might say, preacher, do you know my heart? Well, the answer is no. No on both accounts. How then do I claim to know? 
because you don't demonstrate a need. You can take the gospel or leave it. I don't, I don't understand that. I don't see how anyone can profess to know Christ and can take Him and leave, or leave Him. You, think, you can't take Christ or leave Him if you truly see your need of Him. To you, this message is not a faithful saying. You don't accept this message as the gospel truth. Therefore, you don't demonstrate the need of a true sinner. The Lord said in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons, those who are righteous in their own eyes, trusting in the righteousness of their own, which need no repentance. But you take a sinner whom God has revealed his sin and showed him his need and gives him Christ while the heavens rejoice. What a sound that must be. One sinner coming to repentance. A sinner who needs mercy will, will show repentance. A sinner who displays true repentance will receive mercy every single time. How do I know that? Because the gospel message is for sinners. <laughs> Christ came to the world to save who? Sinners. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. If you ever see that you're a lost sinner, you'll have a need to be found. God will see to it. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why call him Jesus? Why call him Savior? For he shall save his people from their sin. If you ever see yourself to be a sinner, you'll have a need to be saved and you'll trust in Christ to save you because God will see to it. Who in this world did Christ come to save? Well, we just read it. He came to save His people. And what did He come to save them from? Their sin. That's the best news this depraved wretched man ever heard. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why is he or her condemned? Because he or she hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Look at verse 15 again here. How, how, uh, let's, is that right? No, verse 16. Paul writes, How be it for this cause I obtain mercy. What cause? The cause of being a sinner. 
the cause of being a sinner, it always comes back to need. Always. The Syrophoenician woman needed help. What was her prayer? We looked at it a couple weeks ago. Three words. Lord, help me. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. He helped her. When Peter walked on the water, bid the Lord to allow him to come and walk on the water. He began to look at all around him, the boisterous winds and the waves. And he began to sink. What did Peter need? He needed saving. He needed deliverance. What was his prayer? Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched forth His hand and caught Him. Two blind men in Matthew chapter 20 had a great need. What did they need? They needed mercy. What did they pray? Lord, have mercy on us. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you. Any who have a real need and a real desire for that need to be fulfilled, if they cry to the Lord for it, they will have their need fulfilled. I'll put that in writing for you if you want me to. Nowhere in the Bible will you find one denied. People have not because they ask not, and they ask and receive not, because they ask amiss that they may consume what they ask for upon their lust. And that word there means pleasure. But if you have a real spiritual need, and you ask the Lord to grant it, it'll be granted. Again, how do I know? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. All of them. In heavenly places. That's not all. In Christ. Now look closely at what Paul says here in verse 16. This is where I get my title this morning, For This Cause. That's the title, For This Cause. How be it for this cause? What cause? As I said, the cause of being a sinner. How be it for this particular cause I obtain mercy? You see, those who truly need mercy obtain mercy. Now pay close attention to the words of Paul that follow here. He says that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to everlasting life. Now Paul is not saying here that he was the first who, man who was ever converted upon Christ coming to save sinners. There were many sinners converted before Paul was. And Paul is not saying here that he was the first great sinner that was converted and saved. There were many great sinners that the Lord saved before Paul. 
This word first here is not an adverb of time. It's a noun expressing the character of the Apostle Paul. You see, the long-suffering Christ showed here to Paul was full proof that this man called Saul was held, who held the clothes of those that stoned Stephen was forgiven. Paul made havoc in the lives of those who followed Christ. He threw men and women in prison, as I said, persecuting them to their death. This was the pattern of the kind of man that this grace was shown to. Now, do you know what that does? That gives me some great hope. If he would save the chief of sinners like Paul, if he would change one who considered himself less than the least, the least of all apostles, just maybe he'd save me. You think? No, I know. I know. By this instance, an example of grace to Paul, one who blasphemed, one who persecuted, one who injured others, every sinner should be encouraged to believe in Christ for life and salvation. All sinners in every age should be awakened, should be convinced, and have hope of salvation in Christ for themselves. Do you? Some of you remain indifferent. Since God spared and showed such patience, such long-suffering, such love, such mercy, such grace, such forgiveness, and salvation to a great sinner like Paul, what great confidence we should all have that He would do so for us. And this is what I want a real sinner to see. And if such grace was bestowed and experienced on such a horrific sinner as Paul, even the chief of sinners, shouldn't every believing sinner be encouraged who's found trusting in Christ alone? You better believe it. But brother, you don't know what still goes in, on in my mind and in my heart. Oh, i got a pretty good idea. Because it goes on in mine too. But God don't look at me and base my salvation upon what I think and what I do. He bases it upon what Christ did and has done for me. Now, I won't continue in sin that grace may abound. I hate myself. I abhor myself. I wish I wasn't like I was. But Christ is our object of faith. Saving faith looks and believes on Him. Believing sinners seek eternal life in Christ. Paul is a pattern to the kind of sinners that God saves. That being the worst. The chief. The sick. The diseased. Not the well. Not the self-righteous. But those who have great what? Need. Boy, that's a word that's missing in our day, isn't it? Everybody's got too much. Don't have much need. Those who are sick, diseased, having nothing but wounds, bruises, and putrefying sores from head to toe. 
They hadn't been closed up, neither bound or mollified, doctored with ointment. That's who the great physician came to save. And that's who we are. Now, are you offended at that description? Do you disagree with that assessment of yourself? If so, sadly, Christ didn't come to save you. He came to save sinners. Bad sinners. Bad sinners. The chief of sinners. Wretched and depraved. This is the same Paul who said, O wretched man that I am. Not that I was, but that I am. When I told that believer I used to be a sinner, he just smiled, shook his head. Paul asked, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Who can deliver me? He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ. That's okay. So is that describing you? Do you see that you're wretched? Well, that certainly describes me and it's, the only hope, now listen to me, it's the only hope and assurance that I have. I come before you this morning with no merit or righteousness of my own that would qualify me to stand and proclaim God's Word. As I said in the beginning, if, if we could play my mind and heart on a movie screen back here, I'd run out the door here screaming. But among men, there's none righteous, no, not one. And This is why a man's work of so-called righteousness is so obnoxious. Such an obnoxious odor in the nostrils of God. Men who think that they have some righteousness that God will accept are ignorant of God's righteousness. That's what the Scripture says. They go about to establish their own righteousness. And when they do, they do not submit themselves to the only righteousness that God will accept. And that being Christ's perfect righteousness. Men have a zeal of God, but it's not according to knowledge. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. What does that mean? It means that the finished work of Christ's righteousness for His people to put away their sin was the end of all ordinances and all sacrifices that were made for they all they did was shadowed Him. The, the blood of bulls and goats put away the first sin. All they did was picture Christ who would come and who would put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. The finished work of Christ's righteousness. That's what I put my trust in. All these other sacrifices and ordinances and all, they ended when He came. He fulfilled, He finished, He accomplished what they only pictured. Well, the law was our schoolmaster. Why? To bring us to Christ. And the schoolmaster instructed us and directed us until Christ came and no longer. 
Christ fulfilled the law. Our Lord put an end to the law. The Lord disannulled the law. I don't, the law has nothing to accuse me of. Christ has already fulfilled it. Christ has completed it. Christ has finished it. He's the end of the law for righteousness. He is my righteousness. He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against you and I. And He's the end of the law for righteousness. Himself being the very righteousness of God in the life of man. Do you love that? He brought in an everlasting righteousness. It's not going to get used up. It'll last for eternity. I don't need to add anything to it. If I add anything to it, it takes away from it. That perfect righteousness that no sinner can obtain for themselves, a righteousness that came only by a perfect fulfilling of the law because it must be perfect to be accepted, and it was perfect, and God accepted it. He's the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. This righteousness is for those who have faith in Christ. Do you have faith in Him? It's the cause. His righteousness is the cause of being accepted by God. And that's why all who trust in Christ are accepted in Him, the beloved. We don't dare insult God by presenting to Him our filthy rags of righteousness. That's to be ignorant of God's righteousness. When you see what you are, you'll know that in and of yourself, you have nothing to offer God. Nothing that He'll accept. Because it's got to be perfect. <laughs> this righteousness is for those like Job who abhor themselves. Those who confess, behold, I am vile. For those who with Isaiah say, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Everybody around me in the same condition. It's for those who would David say, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee. For those who claim that thou shalt mark iniquities, who can stand? Surely not I. It's for those who can say when they have it, but there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared, that you may be reverenced. It's for those who would David say, I've sinned against the Lord. And it's for them who afterwards are told, the Lord hath put away your sin and you shall not die. Isn't that what Nathan said to him? Thou art the man I've sinned against God. Yes, you have. But because of one who loved you and gave himself for you, you shall not die. Boy, that's good.
And it was for this cause that we obtain mercy. Every sinner to whom God has revealed their sin know that they're abominable, filthy, and drink iniquity like water. We obtained mercy because we needed mercy. God showed us that we needed it, and He's still showing us that we need it. He causes us to cry out for it. He gives it to us when we cry out for it because He delights to show it. We receive mercy and we faint not. If not, we fall over right now. Now in closing, I want to remind you once again of what you already know. <laughs> I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 1 real quick. Just back a, uh, a little bit. Ephesians and Galatians chapter 1. And let me say while you're turning, this gospel that I preach, this gospel that many of you believe, this good news that many of us find all our comfort and assurance is in, excuse me, is not a man. It's not a man. Why should we be surprised if man hates it? Why should we marvel when men don't believe it? It's not a man. Paul told the church here at Galatia in verse 6, he said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert. There's that word again. The gospel of Christ. Remember what perversion is? It's a perversion of the true gospel. A false gospel. Another gospel, which is not another. If salvation is of the Lord from start to finish, if salvation is by grace alone and Christ alone, if only Christ can put away His people's sin by His work of perfect righteousness, what would be the perversion of that? To pervert something is to alter it from its original. It means to distort and corrupt that which is true. It means to lead someone away from what is considered right, true, and acceptable. To pervert... Grace is to alter it to works. Right? The opposite of grace is works. To pervert the truth that God saves by grace through faith, not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast, is to claim that a man can be saved by works. It's to lead someone away from Christ. It's to convince them that they don't need Him. How does someone convince you that you don't need Christ? To endeavor to convince you that you already have what you need. That you can already do what you can't do. That's, that's why this, this ain't just a little matter of uh, difference in opinion. These folks that are trusting in they walk down an aisle, a prayer that they make, a membership that they become part of, a tithe that they give, a baptism that they partake in. It's not just a difference of opinion. It's a difference of life and death. 
Look what Paul says in verse 8. But though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now I say it again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which we that you've received, let him be accursed. Now that's how important this is. He says it twice. Verse 10, For do I now persuade men or God? Now the word persuade there means to teach. Do Are we endeavoring to teach men or are we endeavoring to teach God? No one can teach God anything. God is to be heard and obeyed. Paul continues on and he says, Or do I seek to please men? For if yet, for if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of God. Now listen, Paul had formerly studied to please men when he held the, the, the clothes of those that stoned Stephen. He sought to please men when he made havoc of the church. And no man pleaser can be a true and faithful servant of Christ. In verse 11, Paul continues, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me, it's not after man. Verse 12, I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it by man, but by what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not preached to please man. It's not of human origin. God uses the means of preaching by man, but divine revelation comes by Jesus Christ. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be what? Taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father. What does he do? He comes to me. He comes to me. Paul went on and said, Now you've heard about me. You know what I did. I persecuted the church of God. I wasted it. I profited in the Jews' religion. No more did no one did so more than I did. But there's that blessed word. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb. Who did? God did. And He called me by His grace. Why did He do that? To reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Now listen, this morning you've come face to face again with the truth. And you're not conferring with flesh and blood. You're dealing with the God of the Bible. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. And you're without excuse. What think you of Christ? You're without excuse. You've seen from the Scriptures that you're a sinner, a totally depraved sinner. You've seen that Christ came in the world to save sinners, the chief of sinners. You've seen that He does so by a perfect work of righteousness. Perfect righteousness that He alone finished. The only perfect work that God will accept. Christ fulfilled the law of God. He satisfied the holy justice of God. Did He do this just to make salvation possible? Absolutely not. And if you dare to add to it, you'll try to do something if you try to add to it to make it certain, then as I said, you take away from it. That's not the gospel I preach. 
And that's not what you hear in this place. A true gospel is not after man. It's the revelation, the revealing of truth by God to His people. What is the truth? It's a faithful, trustworthy saying. Christ came to the world to save sinners. He came to the world to save the chief of sinners. Are you a sinner? Or are you well? He didn't come to call the righteous. Are you righteous in your own sight? Those that are well have no need, no need of the great physician. Who does? Sick, depraved, wretched, evil sinner. Well, not a very uplifting message. If you're a sinner, it is. Because that's who He came to save. That's pretty uplifting to me. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus Christ stands to save you full of pity, love and power. Come, ye thirsty, come and welcome God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance. Every grace that brings you nigh. Let not conscience make you linger, nor fitness finally dream. Well, let me see. let me sit here and think about all my good points and, and give God a few reasons why He would save me. No, not a fitness finally dream. All the fitness that Christ requires is that you feel your need of Him. Do you need Christ? Well, He's the one thing needful. And God promises that He'll supply all your need. Singular. Not needs. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things, plural, will be added unto you. But He's the one thing needful. And God will supply that need in Him. Well, that's the gospel. That is the gospel. There's no, there's nothing else that would give a sinner any hope or comfort apart from that. What God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank God that He shows me over and over and over again that I'm a sinner in great need. It's painful. It's shameful. But it's needful. 